0: Filmmaker Commentary episode 13. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. I'm here. I'm joined with... Casey G. Smith. Good to be back. Welcome, sir. Thank you, sir. This podcast is dedicated to help you, the audience, become better media people, filmmakers, video producers, film producers. Um, And we do that by breaking down and listening to commentaries that's on our DVDs, Blu-rays, and special features. Today, we're going to be... Speaking about the movie Get Out. Get Out. It was released February twenty fourth, two thousand seventeen. It was on a budget of four point five million, and at the box office is two hundred and fifty five million, winning. Absolutely winning. Jordan Peele and his commentary. This movie, awesome. Uh, I really did enjoy the commentary. I was like, hey man, if we meet this guy in the future, it's definitely going to be a friend, because he took the time out to. Give a gift to people that listen to these commentaries. So the nerds out there that like this stuff, it was a gift from another nerd. He
1: even says as much towards the <laughs> towards the end of it. And he said, I kind of had two ways I could have gone. I could have, you know, maybe done like Kubrick and let people wonder, you know, for <laughs> the ages to come about the mythology and things of, of Get Out. Or I could kind of just nerd out and, and, and give what I would want to receive uh, when I listen to a commentary. And he, hats off to you, Mr. Peel. You did a bang up job. Indeed.
0: Trailer reaction. The trailer, I believe it was on uh, YouTube in October of 2016. And this trailer, at the time, it was everywhere. It almost seems ages ago, but this trailer was everywhere. And I remember them just creating this demand with this movie. When this trailer dropped, I was like, a black person made this. Like, <laughs> 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 uh, And there's a line in the trailer when the protagonist was saying, I get nervous when I see too many white people. My wife saw it. She started laughing because that's her. That's she gets nervous <laughs> for real. So, <laughs> we both kind of started laughing. I was like, "Okay, we're gonna go. We're gonna make sure that we watch this movie." And sure enough, at the end of the trailer, they say Jordan Peele. I was like, huh, "No, well, all right."
1: I think everybody had that reaction. Like, right? Wait a minute. The, the comedy dude, Jordan Peele, a horror movie. Mm-hmm. First time directing, Jordan Peele, a horror movie. Like, you couldn't help but be mm-hmm. uh, at the minimum curious and i think we're at that time now like of course we have
0: those reactions but when you have people kind of breaking through like a, like donald glover will rap one minute who's writing sitcoms who's acting who's singing mm-hmm. so like what okay you know we can't just you know we can't just put black
1: folks in different boxes you know we're more we're multifaceted hey, very true very very true uh, even beyond racist within the entertainment industry like mm-hmm. when we see somebody cross over and we really shouldn't be surprised because when we look back to the stars of yesteryear you know back in the day you had to you had to be a triple threat be able to, to sing to dance to act that was you know a lot of these people came from broadway where that was just the norm and there's still i think a, a, a handful of those kinds of talents that are around today um and then and, and those who may not do maybe all of that they probably have some kind of inkling to to write or direct or, or produce. And especially if you're a comedian, you're probably spending time already writing your, your yes. material and pulling from different experiences in life and, and constantly observing like a, a Dave Chappelle or mm-hmm. obviously a Key and Peele. And so, he, yeah. And, and, and I, what I also find with comedians, they also tend to have this dark side to them.
0: Completely dark. Mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan stuff and, he has a lot of comedian friends, and it's almost like they live a dark lifestyle just to have stories to say. Like dealing with like drugs, like hard drugs, and mm-hmm. the, the fast women, the type of women they deal with when they're single, and even being married, and just like hearing these conversations. Like these guys are super interesting, but they have to they have to put themselves in weird situations to have these stories.
1: You know who um, a wonderful series. And I was filming a commentary, but if you ever get a chance to watch it, uh, Jerry Seinfeld mm-hmm. had a series he did of comedians in cars getting coffee uh is that pretty good i saw that's oh on
0: netflix right yeah
1: I, I it was it's older i didn't realize it it's a couple of years old within within the uh, obama era of, of, of presidency i don't know which term but he did these, these series of interviews and he i mean everybody from jay leno to chris rock um i'm trying to remember if if if, if dave is on one but he just man just interviews so many different comedians and you talk about, you know, some who 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 are, you know, dark, but you you get a nice range. Male, yeah. female, all kinds of ethnicities, and it is it's just fascinating to listen to comedians talk with each other and talk about the craft. Uh yeah, it's I, I, I highly recommend that. Putting that on the checklist. So the commentary. How did you watch the commentary? So since I had I had recently rewatched Get Out uh, streaming on, on HBO within the last month it was fresh in my mind so I just jumped into it fired up I looked around at the options that were on the, the DVD and then I was like alright I'm ready for the commentary and just, just jumped in how about you?
0: I want to experience it again it's been a while since I've actually seen it We uh, when we initially watched the film we uh, went to the theater to watch it and it was packed man it was, everybody was wanting to see it was, a, it was at a quote-unquote black theater and so what's a black theater? <laughs> well if you don't know well never mind google it <laughs> right <know>. google it <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. So yeah, we went to the theater to watch it, and uh, man, we were we were uh, impressed. But uh, we wanted to watch it watch it again. So since we you know had this commentary coming up, I was like okay, let's let's experience again. So we watched it again, and then she went to sleep, and I just like hey, let me go ahead and turn this commentary on. So I just watched the commentary. So I just did it back to back.
1: Oh, nice. How did you feel about it, watching it the second time around? Just watching it the second time around, obviously, before commentary, were there new things that that, that stood out to you?
0: After we watched the first film the first time, it took us down a rabbit hole because everybody on the internet was typing in YouTube, like, the conspiracy theories associated with the movie.
2: Okay, like, what kind of uh,
1: conspiracy
0: theories? One of the big memes was, like, is Kanye West in the second place? You remember when he like had his rant and then he like did his blonde, you know, did his hair blonde. And he like just disappeared. Like sure. he disappeared for almost a year. Right. And so people were like, is he in the sunken place? Like, what's going on with the Kim Kardashian family? And like every black person they get involved with, it's like turns out to be like weird. Remember having like Odom, you know, Omar sure. Odom. He was on drugs and like. You know, and then, right. you know, all these different athletes and stuff like that. So, you know, there was like these conspiracy theories that were kind of going around associated with that. And, you know, is there a governmental agency that wants to do something to blame people? Like, it was just a lot of crazy conspiracy thing mm. theories going on at the time when this movie came out. And people were kind of looking deeper into it like did jordan peele really mean this or did he really mean this oh he put the deer in there because like they just started coming up with all kinds mm. of uh interesting conspiracy theories so yeah so we kind of milked it <laughs> the first time around gotcha <laughs> so the only thing that i probably noticed this time was uh row row what was uh what was her uh, the was, uh rose rose like the sweater she was wearing i was like is that a freddie cougar sweater like the with the the, re- the red stripes is this like a,
1: oh, a homage was it, was it red and green
0: it wasn't red and green. It was red and white, but it reminded me of the Freddy Cougar sweater in a way. Oh wow! That would have been too on top of the head if it was um, if it was green. But yeah, it had the red and white stripes on it. Like this movie is produced by Blumhouse, distributed by Universal. So with Blumhouse, they like to make high concept films, usually horror films like Insidious. What are some other uh, films like The Purge? They produced The Purge, didn't they?
1: Mm-hmm. The whole Purge series. Uh, Paranormal Activity. Mm-hmm. Things through. Bloomhouse mm-hmm. I mean there's, I mean some, almost, I mean almost any kind of indie horror film chances are Bloomhouse is behind it. They have been just crushing it.
0: I like their business model. So what they do um, I can't think of the CEO's name, but he likes to catch directors on their way up, and he, or he'll catch a director on his way down and get him onto one of their projects.
1: Jason Bloom? Yeah, <laughs> he's the producer. Yeah, he's one of the producers on the project. Okay. So I'm I'm assuming that's the same the same gentleman.
0: Yes. So he likes to yeah, get those directors on the way up, some on the way down, and so so he'll get the ones that are hungry. So in this case it was Jordan Peele or he'll get some that are not necessarily in favor or hot anymore, but they have the skill set to to crush a uh, any film. And so that allows him to still have like a low budget. But still have like a high concept film that looks quality. It doesn't look low budget.
1: Right, because right.
0: This film is basically one location. It's a monster in a house movie.
1: Yeah, the majority is in Alabama.
0: Alabama. So yeah, so I, I like what uh, what Blumhouse is doing um, with their with their business model, and I think they're just I think they're just producing films and then just selling it off to a distributor. That's what I'm thinking they're doing with their business
1: model. Yeah, since then, I guess they don't really distribute. So yeah, I think they're getting that set up and. It like said staying within their, their budgetary parameters, yeah, they, they have the formula down. They they really do.
0: I'm gonna cut to an interview with Jason Blumhouse speaking specifically about their business model.
3: Yeah, so the formula in broad strokes is we only make low budget movies. We get paid nothing, and the directors get paid as little as we're allowed, which is scale, the actors get paid as a little as they are allowed, which is scale. And the pitch to the filmmaker coming in, my, my greatest successes, or our greatest successes, have been with filmmakers who have kinda had a hit and then kinda gone off a little bit. So James Wan did Saw, and he did two movies for Universal you've never heard of, and he came into my office and he is pissed. They're in movie jail. He, they're in movie jail, they're pissed at the system. And one of the biggest reasons they're pi- we get mad at the system is we go to work for a studio, the studio tells us what to do, the movie bombs, we get blamed. So we being the filmmakers, get blamed. So that is a very powerful tool that our company uses. And we say to James or whoever it may be, can't promise you a hit, but I'm gonna give you final cut, and I promise the movie will be your own. So you're gonna live or die on your own work. And I I kinda make a joke, although it's not really a joke, that it's auteur filmmaking, it's the kind of French style of filmmaking, but it's for commercial movies. And that's a very powerful message to a man, or hopefully woman, who has kind of been burned a little bit by the system.
4: So it's not first-time filmmakers, necessarily. We
3: don't, the big difference between us and Roger Corman, we're, we're compared a lot to Roger Corman, who I love and is terrific, but totally different system. Roger Corman was, First time, do everything as if cheaply If you're as, not
4: an old person, Roger Corman was 60s, 70s, exploitation. Famous,
3: yeah, did famously four. Famously
4: gave everyone their start.
3: Famously gave Jack Nicholson and, and, uh, and so a gazillion people their start. Um, uh, but his whole thing was super, super cheap from beginning to end. Mine, I don't want a first time filmmaker. I want a filmmaker who's, who's kind of been through the system and, and has something to prove. Scott Derrickson did Exorcism Emily Rose, which was a kind of a big hit, and then he did this movie, uh, this Keanu Reeves movie for Fox, which didn't work at all, and he was in my office and ready to make Sinister. And, um, and we've done it time and time again, and it's been, it's a very effective tool. And when the director doesn't make money, unless the movie makes money, guess what? More often than not, when it's a choice about what's going to make the movie more commercial, the argument is a lot smaller because our, our interests are aligned with the director as opposed to paying him a big fee up front, when then he just wants good reviews because he's been paid already so, the studio hasn't.
4: So the economics of it are, are you've got some actual sort of,
3: it's, it's a formula, right? Like up to five million for the first movie? Yeah, five, yeah. well, we, we, the reason that we get to our number is actually it's, it's totally reverse engineered. So the number used to be three million, four million, now it's five million and, and besides the fact besides inflation um which obviously isn't that big a percentage that i just mentioned uh we get to the number by worst case scenario where are we gonna lose and it's very studios do low mid high ranging cases but they're low they're, the movie can come in below their low case like an often does we can't get worse than our low case so in a, a worst case scenario the movie's upside down and backwards I can get two million dollars out of the United States and two million dollars out of No one comes to see this movie. Oh, it's not in theaters. You, right, so, so
4: you've, you've, you've got a
3: version of this but no you theaters. don't even put it out. It's not a version, it's a pillar right. to our strategy, which is I say to the directors, no distribution. Guaranteed. You look at it. We don't decide. You test it? We test it a million times, and we don't decide how the movie's gonna be distributed until it is finished. And I can, I say to the directors, I guarantee your movie will be seen, but I'm not guaranteeing how it will be seen. So it might just be seen on iTunes, or it might be in 3,000 theaters, and we make that decision after the fact. All right. So let's talk about the look of the film.
0: The cinematography is beautiful. I like the different shades of like the blue and amber. It's just great work um, by the DP. What? How did the look of the film? How did it make you feel? when you look at it visually
1: visually times feels claustrophobic you know there's a lot of tight shots uh, within. within a lot of close-up of people's faces yeah it feels it feels it it feels like you know like you'd almost want to escape and and get away
0: i thought it was beautiful i like the way you know when it first comes in we talk about the handheld shots and i overall thought it was beautiful like when it when it starts out it's it feels more um optimistic Outside of the, of course, the, inter- the, the first the killing Kidnapping who, yeah, at the beginning? Kin- yeah. <laughs> Take that part out. <laughs> uh, but even then, there was like a lot of space. It was spacious. You know, they're using wide angles. It's a, it's a wide angle, one shot lens. You see the ca- the car come into the shot. Um, then you, you also, with the character, were following him. You, if you look in the shadows, you actually see the camera people with the camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he turns around from the car, uh, uh, trying to get away. Me as a black man, like, Run! Ah! <laughs> you know seeing that scene but the overall look um, I like the way that he used wide angle lenses and then um, it looked more optimistic when he was when they were on the road and getting ready to you know going to meet her parents but then um, it switched to like this blue blue kind of amber uh, tone I like that but then it started getting dark and, it, and like you were saying claustrophobia started kind of closing in a little bit mm. so I like how they use lighting to uh, make you feel different
1: the music yes so, Peel mentioned that uh, when he worked with his uh, composer, uh, Michael Abels, who is, is trained in various areas of, of music, uh, classically trained, and, and all kinds of areas. But what he wanted was something that had black voices um, within, as far as with the, the, the kind of the get out uh, score. He wanted something with, with black voices that, that wasn't voodoo.
2: Mm -hmm. And what what they, yeah,
1: Yeah. what they ended up coming up with, with with what's here with the, you know, you know, and and the words that they're speaking is actually uh, Swahili, uh, and it's something to the effect of "trust your ancestors," and and I think maybe then literally it maybe "trust your ancestors" and run away. I remember that there's
0: a song that plays. It's called "Red Bone" uh, by Donald Glover. That song, I remember when that came out. Like it was
1: weeks.
0: <laughs> and we were jamming that song like weeks before this movie came out. And Shanti, she really—that's lo- my wife. She she really loved that song and was just playing it over and over. And didn't know that it was him for a while.
1: You yeah, know? neither did I. I would hear it everywhere, <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, that's that's Donald Glover. What? <laughs> I didn't
0: know he can hit that falsetto. You Man, know, I, I didn't know there was him hitting that. So I knew he could sing, but I didn't know he can go that high with it. Hmm. And so that was a trip. I thought it was like. Eric Baidu you know switching a voice up or something like that but that was that was pretty cool to see him do that but we were playing you know that song and then to watch the movie in the theater and then to hear that song drop i was like oh this guy is perfect like this director is <laughs> <laughs> he's got it he's crushing you know it. out of all the songs this is like the song that's popping right now you know talking about stay you know stay woke we're gonna cut to uh interview of him talking about that
4: well, first of all, you know, I love, you know, the, you know, stay woke. I, you know, that's what this movie's about. I wanted to make sure that this movie satisfied the black horror movie audience need for characters to be smart and do, do things that um, intelligent, observant people would do. So I wanted to make sure we had the, that our lead, uh, Chris, played by Daniel Kaluuya, was a guy that we believed in. And believed he would make the right decisions. Believe that he is woke, and and, um, and then um, you know I, obviously when I when I when I I'm a huge uh, uh, childish Gambino fan, huge huge fan of Donalds. I, I had him in to see the movie. I put the the song in there, and I was like looking at him like, <laughs> um, and,
2: and and good reaction, and,
4: and he and he loved it, and he um, I was just very very honored by his reaction, and it's it's. It's a perfect, it's a little haunting too, and a little bit of a throwback as well, like this film is. So it's a perfect mix. mix.
0: Okay, um, outside of just the soundtrack, like you were saying with the score, that I found that to be like real haunting because you have the Redbone song playing in the background while they're about to go on the trip and they're getting ready. But then you cut to the actual score, and it's like, okay, we're in a horror film. <laughs> this ain't just party time. No, this sad. is a, a horror movie, and the score kind of brings you back and kind of grounds you again. So, yeah. it And you can tell they're, there are black voices in the background, but yeah. you don't know what they're saying. But it, it kind of reminds me of... Uh, Stanley Kubrick with the eyes wide shut, you know, just having like a haunting kind of voice kind of playing Mm -hmm. ominous music. So yeah, it was a job well done. It was very creepy.
1: Again, a new age, very, you know, Afrocentric kind of creepy, the kind of voice that you you know normally hadn't heard. So,
0: so with this movie, of course, we've already started talking about race a little bit, you know, being African-American, you know, this can, this brings up just a lot of things in me just being a black male in America. Um, What about for you? Did it bring what did it bring up for you from this a racial standpoint? Uh, Did it open up conversations with people that aren't black? You know, what did it do for you?
1: This film was was such a a, a breath of fresh air. And and Peel says in the commentary that one of the reasons why he made the film is that a lot of time in horror movies, black people, while we're often huge supporters from an audience standpoint. Mm hmm. That a lot of times, just like some of the themes in the movie, were often marginalized as far as representation in black films. You know, for the longest, we had that old trope of, oh, you know, the black guy dies first. True. Which is, number one, annoying. Number two, offensive. Number three, it goes against instincts of a black man. Like, let's be real. Um, if, if, if something seems fishy or, or, or funny, kind of like the, the guy did at the very beginning of the film and that car was like following, he was like, nope, not today, (laughs) today. you know, he he turned around (laughs) and I think in a lot of cases, that's what a brother would do. Like, "Mm, nope, this doesn't seem right. I'm going the other way. And to see those, those natural instincts be put on display and it's like, okay, yes. All right. Okay. This, this guy is smart. Like he, he knows um, for me, that was again representation. It's always good to see someone that looks like you, or maybe potentially has similar experiences to you, um, the experience of a black man, and, and even you know the scene with with once they hit the deer and they pull over on the side of the road and the officer asks to see see his Chris's right. license. And she's like, well, you know, he wasn't even driving, you know, and, you know, I can relate to the, the potential concern of being pulled over, especially in the woods. I've, I've had yeah. that happen before. And in my mind, you know, your mind sometimes goes all kinds of places. And I was dressed in a suit and, and, and right. you know, I respect, you know, officers of the law and all that. But even with all that being said, it provokes certain thoughts, you know, and fears and concerns. So this this film just left me with a big smile on my face, knowing that it was directed by uh, by a black man, you know, obviously starring a you know a black man as well, and in dealing head on with these issues, it, there's this sense of 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 pride, and even you know the interracial dating thing, like what that mm-hmm. looks like, you know, I've I've dated women of, of all kinds of you know colors, creeds, and, 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 and backgrounds, and what is it like going mm-hmm. to to meet the parents, and does when any interracial uh, relationship especially you know when one is dating a, a black man does does she understand <laughs> what this might look like when you break it to your parents if you haven't right. told them yet does she understand what the ramifications might be and will she really have your back when the chips are down and within this film, up until a certain point, you're really like, man, Rose is down, man. Right? She's Rose. down with the swirl. She's got his back. Rose eye. Rose right. eye. And we found out, no, Rose is not eye. She's, she's not. Twisted. She's, she's ro ro. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did it bring out for you, Reginald? For me,
0: um, I don't know if you've been in a situation, but I've been in kind of similar situations where it's socially awkward, especially when you're dating somebody from the opposite race and a white lady, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of being the guy that's okay. Who's going to be the first one to say something dumb today? Oh, you know, like you just have
1: people coming up to you. So uh,
0: do all black people eat chicken? You know, or you know, just saying just random semi-racist. You have to be the
1: sounding board in that moment and the representative of the whole black race. Exactly, and if you're if you're nice enough, and if you are polished enough, then people will feel comfortable enough.
0: Yes,
1: just to to either ask you something crazy, or you know maybe see if they can get away. I don't know if you experienced this. Maybe try to see if they can get away with like saying the N word to see if right. they're cool enough to say it. And it's right. like it's a lot of stuff no. to deal
0: with, and you gotta represent your whole race. It's like, dude, I just want to come to this party and drink mm-hmm. with
1: everybody else. Right. I'm American
0: you know it's hey, like
1: yeah, yes yes and i'm not saying i'm not black I'm, I'm happy to be black but when i when i hang out with my friends of other races i don't i don't i'm not the one who brings up their race
0: right
1: you know but for whatever reason like they seem like they'll they'll somehow want to bring up the fact that i'm black in, in some kind of way yeah. you know yeah uh, and i'm like that's not necessary now i'm down to talk about racial issues i'm I'm, right. I'm i'm down to go you know deep conversations right but in terms of just like hanging out day to day Like, I I don't need you to to bring up the fact that I'm black. I'm well aware of that, you know? But if we're just boys hanging out, then let's just be boys hanging out in this moment.
0: Yeah, it's always been awkward. And then kind of being there, and then you can kind of see, you know, I was dating this girl in in high school. She was white, too, fly, too. Um, But just kind of seeing how... (laughs) That was my requirements in high school. You just had to be pretty, it didn't matter what race. I dated Asian, Hispanic, black, didn't matter. No one used fly. (laughs) I was very superficial in high school.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We all have our times.
0: Yeah, man. Um, But you kind of I I saw how people reacted because I was black. But at the time, I wasn't necessarily, quote unquote, woke. You know, I was Mm. in the system of, yeah, I'm black, but, you know, I'm not looking at the world that way Mm -hmm. because in the system that I grew up in. It was a little bit more diverse, but, you know, a lot of times I would have been like maybe one to five black kids in the in the, uh, classroom. and But I still didn't look at the world that way. Mm. Um, I looked at, hey, that's Jim. That's that's Rachel. That's so-and-so. I didn't look at it like, that's white shorts and she's white. That's right. Jimmy and he's white. You know, that's so-and-so and he black. I didn't look at it like that. It was right. based on personality, who you were, did we get along, are we friends, whatever. and um,
1: Did you ever feel, uh, because you were one of the few black people in your in your uh in your circle or in your system in, in the society in the system in your school mm-hmm. did you feel that did you feel that you were treated not I maybe mean, different but maybe like kind of uh looked at what kind of sometimes of in a special way because you're black oh yeah you know, you know oh you're, you're like automatically cool just because you're black or anything like that probably uh, i probably didn't catch on to that until
0: like high school mm-hmm. but also I was like probably one of the most diverse area codes uh, in urban Texas, South Irving, where even though I might have been one of the few black guys in the room, you know, we also had Indians, we also mm-hmm. had Asians. Asian. Who else? Who else am I missing? Uh, Hispanic. Yeah, Hispanic. So we had everything. Now it's more kind of lean more towards Hispanic now in the area code, but at the time, it, it you know there was other minorities too. They were the only one in the classroom, so and there were stereotype stereotypes as well with that. So. Um, but I did notice where if it was me and like two other black guys in the, in the room, we'd all be cool,' we'd try to be. Um, the teacher would try to separate us if we kind of got together and we were having a good time. I noticed that, but didn't understand why. Mm. So it was like, and as I got older, you know, dating, um, some of the uh, some of the females from the classroom going over to her parent to their parents' house, stuff like that, you start noticing the racial stuff is coming from the adults. It's not coming from the kids. Right, so it's like,
1: often a learned thing.
0: Yeah, so in our world, everything's cool, but when you start going out, you know, you thinking that you know you can go into the world and be who you want to be, and mm-hmm. da, da da da. Then you actually go and meet these people, and you're just like, you're black, I'm like that's Man. what you're stuck on, like you're, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what that's what you're about. You Nothing, I, nothing about my character, or, anything. So I was like, wow, this is strange because you know, in school we learned as one thing, but in actuality, in the real world, they're. Putting you in a box, soon as you get
1: out of there, and so that was kind of a wake up call. And see, I had I, I had a, a pretty unique experience in high school. My high school was was pretty diverse, you know, mainly black, white, and Hispanic. Um, in my school I went to in San Antonio, you know, I went to I had an experience uh, summer of my junior year, going to my senior year, where I went to an actual diversity camp, mm-hmm. where like all like the different stereotypes that. I had about either myself, my race, other races, like all that was confronted directly, that's and so cool. my outview coming into my senior year of high school, into college, I was like I'm down for diversity and <laughs> you know, I'm down for, you know, equality. <laughs> again, again, always, always aware of my culture, my heritage, always proud of that. Right. But I was a guy who would, if I heard somebody make a, a, a racial comment, I was like, hey man, that's not cool. That's all like, right what do cool, we, need to, we need to respect each other i was like you yeah. know captain america you know <laughs> like a black captain america just out out in the streets and just you know you know promoting respect for and all this different stuff and i'm grateful for that experience but at the same time as i've progressed through life and right. sometimes been in other interrelated relationships man i've 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 come head on yeah. into man like straight up just straight up racial right. issues. There was one girl that I was uh kind of starting a relationship with right. and not to make it like a whole section about about relationships, but <laughs> we started to go out and then I found out from a friend who had kind of connected us that her mother had told had told, had told him, mm-hmm. look, we can we can work with them. Yeah. We can work with them, but we we can't date them. Wow. And and then he relayed that back to me and I was like what now? Again, her daughter didn't feel that way, and I actually ran into her mother, you know, at some kind of function, or whatever, and she was very cordial. Yeah. But so you know, nowadays so things aren't so much overt in terms of racism, but there it's under the current. Yes. Uh, and and behind the back, and I was like, dude, and yeah, I've, I've had a couple situations like that. So it's you want to believe the best and, and believe in the, in the prosperity and the moving forward. And again, I think amongst our generation, yeah, that there's, that there's been progress. Um, but man, the, the days uh, um, and things of the past, the poison of the past is, is, is still there. True. True that.
0: Um, I remember um, my parents like growing up, cause I have all kind of people in my family. It got mm-hmm. like in my direct bloodline, Hispanic, Indian, you know, and then different shades of black. So, from very light-skinned to very dark, and then there's a whole colorism thing just with that alone. You know, mm. there's politics within the constraint of color, the different shades you are. Um, but uh, my mom, she was more like, hey, you know, whoever you date, it's fine. It's not a yep. big deal. Da, 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 da. My dad was like, you know, just be careful. <laughs> you know, I didn't really... <laughs> And out of all, he's, you know, basically like, I'd rather, you know, if a a girl's white or whatever, I'd rather you be in a car and get pulled over with some white girl than in in a car with three Negroes, (laughs) you know? Did he actually say Negroes? (laughs) No, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But just kind of, just because of how things may look, you know, us being kids, we don't know that, hey, I'm just hanging out with my guys. Right. But to adults these are for black guys that may be trying to terrorize it's a, somebody it's a pack
2: of Negroes, it's a pack. It's so, a, uh,
0: and you just don't know that you don't know that adults are thinking this.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh
0: man. Yeah. So the, yeah.
1: the differences of, of, of how, how you grow up, uh, man, on the difference of how you can grow up in terms of being black. This, the fact that conversations like that happen mm-hmm. uh, and that sometimes even in thinking about just, just driving somewhere and maybe having to have a, a prep talk from your parents in terms of how you should interact with if you get pulled over by a police officer, like how to act, how not to act. I've, I've hung around some, some of my Caucasian friends and, and heard about their stories when they get pulled over and they're cursing out the cop and just don't care about being respectful at all. For right. me, I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, officer. No, officer. I'm, I got my hands 10 and 20. I'm just like, I'm trying to be as non-threatening as possible as compliant as possible like i don't want any problems at all at the end i'm like god bless you officer and god bless america you know i sound like a politician but i've heard my other friends are like oh why are you wasting your time pulling me over i'm just like you're 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 crazy like no (laughs) and that's where you 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 can see those some of those differences Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm like dude so
0: yeah so that's kind of
1: Clearly this movie brought a lot yes a
0: lot of thoughts about race I'll try to see if there's anything else before we move on uh let's talk
1: did you want me to mention that part about growing or is that later on
0: yeah go ahead yeah okay this is the perfect part
1: Growing up uh, my pops was in the Air Force I, I I spent a large portion of my life in Grand Forks North Dakota uh, on the Air Force base as you can imagine in Grand Forks it's not the most diverse place in the world but the older I get the more I think back to my childhood, And I always grew up with friends from all kinds of of, of races, creeds, and colors. I'm I'm grateful for that. Uh, Even now, I have friends from all kinds of backgrounds and walks of life. But my parents, I didn't realize at the time, but I look back now and I realize they always made a conscious effort to make sure that kind of our core group of friends, family friends, people we hung out with for Christmas and Thanksgiving, that we had a core group of, of, of black, black friends and, and, and families that we hung out with. Even our, our next door neighbors were were black, and they had to have the same last name as a Smith, and they they would watch us and, and babysit us when my parents were working. We would see people sometimes just at random, you know, downtown Grand Forks at Columbia Mall, and my parents would see some other black people, and they would just say hi. And as a kid, I'd be like, "Do you know them?" And they're like, "No." And I'm like, "Hmm." but i i knew instantly in that moment i knew um (laughs) it was just like it's like this you know like this respect thing like hey let's see you brother yeah yeah we're here too um but growing up i realized that my parents within our home they had all kinds of educational and like pro-black things my dad had art and sculptures from africa uh, when he when he went TDY to Egypt he he brought back this you know awesome egyptian manuscripts and all kinds of stuff he had posters in his 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 room where he always would play music that had you know, the the Budweiser like great black kings and that's I, I wish i'd gotten a hold of those afterwards but you know i saw roots when i was like in third grade oh and yeah and i rem- i l- did that yeah man yeah. i went to school the next day <laughs> with a chip on my shoulder <laughs> i <laughs> I remember my third grade teacher, Mrs. Quammen, you know, she got mad at the class because we were being kind of loud and, and, and rowdy and she she told everybody to kind of put their heads down. And I, met, I was at the back of the class at that time and in my mind, I was always a good kid. I was not, never a troublemaker, but I remember at that time in my mind thinking, I'm not putting my head down for this white lady. I, I was feeling <laughs> militant because I had just seen Roots and the I'm like, of TV, oh man. man, it had me feeling militant. But um, I, was, I look back now and I'm grateful to my mom and dad for making me always feel proud to to be black and yeah I'm, I'm i'm proud of that and i'm grateful to my mom and dad for laying that foundation for me and my sister growing up from the music we listen to and we listen to a wide variety of music don't don't you know don't get it twisted but uh, being able to appreciate those things and, and the, the accomplishments of of black people and um yeah, I'm just I'm I'm grateful for that, especially growing up in a in an area where it could have been easy maybe to to not know or or not connect or not recognize the the heritage and just you know see myself as just a, a another kid. But I knew I was black, and I'm happy to be black, and and I, I I love diversity, and I think it should be celebrated. We can celebrate our differences and come together on our commonalities. That's kind of the the the, the heart of it for me.
0: That was kind of cool. Like you say, you see somebody downtown, like, hey, brother. And that's kind of like in the movie, right? When he saw the other brother at the... uh...
1: (laughs) He's like, hey, he had to go up to him,
0: right? Right. (laughs) Everybody knows that. He's like, he's not one of us. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, me growing up, kind of the same thing where uh, my parents um, made sure that, you know, we're watching like certain things. Like we'll watch like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We'll watch... Mm -hmm. um, what was a family matters or we'll watch uh what's the different world oh yeah uh, watching the different world i wanted to go to a black university and that's ah. exactly what i did when i left i'm like i'm going somewhere black i don't know where nice <laughs> you know so like those influences and my dad making me read uh ben carson the gifted hands book when i was 10 oh wow Ben is a little different character now but at the time mm. you know awesome awesome Accomplishments. So yeah, just kind of instilling that stuff in it. You know, being young, like Man, I want to read this book. You know, and but it was important. You know, because you know that's still in my mind. Like, hey, we can, we can do these things too. Don't let somebody else say that you can or cannot do anything just because of you know color of your skin.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Um. Okay. So moving right along. That was a little tangent there. You know. Hey, we got to get off my chest every now and then. That's not often you get to talk about this.
1: Hey, this is the power of representation. The power of seeing people that that look like you, that, mm-hmm. that come from your 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 culture, your heritage. For some who might be listening to this, and if you if you've watched films and, and movies with people that look like you all the time, then it's it's normal, mm-hmm. right? And you may not even think about it. You may even take it for granted. But when you haven't had that and you see somebody that doesn't look does look like you? It evokes all kinds of feelings. I mean, Black Panther uh, did that for so many people. Right, Get Out is doing that. And
0: like the pre-cur- precursor to that,
1: yeah. But even like you know, Reginald, you mentioned some of the old TV shows. You know, the Cosby Show, man. Like, oh yeah, I when I read about that, yeah, when I would watch the Cosby <laughs> Show, when I would see Maybe Theo, Bill Cosby's <laughs> <actually>. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> just talking about the show, <laughs> when I would see Theo. Right. On the Cosby show. Mm-hmm. That, like, I just... I instantly looked up to him. Because, right. you know, even though I only had a, a twin sister, but just to see another black son on television. Hey, I'm a black son. And there's not a lot of black sons, you know, where I live. So, seeing one on TV yeah. was like, that just... That's true. I was like, hey, this guy's cool. And smart. Yeah. You know? You know? <laughs> I'm like, it just... That always, so that I always look forward to seeing the scenes with Theo. Because I'm like, hey, he's a black son. I'm a black son. That may sound like maybe shallow, and superficial, but there is a, a power within that when it's so rare. Where else could I turn the channels and see another, you know?
0: Positive black male. Yeah, you know, so. That ain't talking it jive talk. <laughs> Sucker! <laughs> what did that guy say on the Superman movie? Some nice threads, man. That's a bad outfit,
2: Jack. (laughs) Woo!
1: Like, really? No.
0: No. We're going to dive into the science of the movie. So, can people really be hypnotized? I remember at uh, the university I went to, they hired a hypnotist to come hypnotize the student body.
1: They would do that from time to time.
0: Yes. And did you believe it? Did you believe when when some of these people were being hypnotized? I never went to or or attended those things. I was like, "Mm, I don't even want to chance it okay like, mm. so I attended one I didn't participate in the guy that was actually doing the well, I was in the crowd but some of the people that were on stage David Summers was one of them um, and some other people that we know on stage acting a fool mm-hmm. and it, like totally out of character they wouldn't do this AD was I <laughs> 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 they they ain't
1: gonna gonna get me though
0: they ain't gonna get me so the guy actually told AD to get off stage get off the stage (laughs) Really booted up (laughs) he's the same so back then he was just like defining I'm like I can't be hypnotized I can totally (laughs) see that (laughs) and so they got him off stage but man David was gone he was doing like Prince impressions on stage like talking in the voice of Prince like doing all this crazy stuff Wow. Um, another uh a lady her name is ruby i don't know what she was she was like doing singing and some other stuff and when he like snapped his fingers to make people come out of it she was like in a daze for like a couple of hours like she was mm-hmm. like i don't remember what happened like i, I don't remember and we're Power looking at we're like suggestion. and we're looking at him like you don't know what you just did she's like i have no clue i'm she just looked tired
1: that's what and see that's why that's why i i, I wouldn't go to those things because just the potential of hypnotic suggestion, mm-hmm. like who just knows? Even if you're in the crowd, right. if something happens, and say they're you know doing something to somebody on stage, but if for whatever reason, if you are just happening to be susceptible to that, something happened to you and you spaced out. How, would you even know? Because you were in the crowd. If that memory, you have a, a you know time memory gone, you may not. It may it may seem like a blink to you, and and maybe you maybe you thought you fell asleep or dozed off. So That's yeah, creepy, I was never. I was I was like. Mm, just in case my black instincts, my right, black spider right. sense is saying.
0: I saw it. I man. saw it. These people were gone. That's wild. I didn't want to participate, but I saw it.
1: I often heard, because they, they would do that every I mean, pretty much every year they have the mm-hmm. guy come through. And I, I would hear stories about people acting whatever kind of way. And I was like, nope, not today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I saw it. It's real. So it, it just made, like, how, how deep can you go with the hypnotism, you know, is like... You know, you know, it was for our entertainment and things like that. But, you know, where can you take it? And of course, there's. Uh, they say with TV frequencies, mm-hmm. like uh, that, it puts you in a state of suggestion. So, like, uh, I don't know what the frequency is, but especially when kids watch TV, their mouths, like, they're glued in. You can say, "Hey, so and so," and they they they're zoned out. They're right. actually in a hypnotic state. And so, when commercials are coming in, any suggestion that the TV has. They're
1: susceptible to it. Prime to receive the message. And even the subliminals that sometimes happen mm-hmm. happen within shows and undertones and all kinds of stuff. That and makes it makes sense. And I'm sure also you could go deeper and, and think about whatever kind of food they might be eating. That all right. might just be setting you up to be in this position of receiving and dare we say programming. Yeah. Huh? Not yeah. to get too conspira conspiracy theorists but this I mean. is supposed to
0: be real science though this is actual science you know the frequency uh whatever frequency the tv brings off it it puts you in a hypnotic state i've been there before where you just look and you're like <laughs> yeah. and you're zoned out and even uh, with music music is one of those things where um you can put suggestions in music and you can't stop it and there's a book that was written on it. it's called thought particles on how you can put suggestions inside of music and it goes and it's one of the few things that you um, you can influence people, and they can't do anything about it.
1: Mm. I wonder if it kind of comes back to some kind of like Napoleon Hill stuff, as far as with vibrations and and so on. Anyway, not to get too deep. Yeah, but no,
2: hey, that's
1: saying. that is super fascinating. And again, I I, I do not I, I do not doubt it. there, they're, people have always wanted to find ways to control other people, and this film deals deals a lot with that. I mean, mm-hmm. ways to to enslave. Um, whether it's trapping you within your your deepest fears in a in a in a sunken place and literally making you worse you know, worse than just you going into that place and dying, now you have to watch as a as a spectator. Like yeah. you you are mentally enslaved, but your body is still is still being is still being used. That's that's horrible. That's terrible.
0: So I mentioned the science because when you know when you're writing and you're putting these movies together you know you're, you're trying to ground these things in reality is it going to be grounded in reality or is it going to be grounded in like a kind of like a fantasy thing and with jordan peele bringing hypnotism i'm saying it right mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, hypnosis hypnosis and then use the right tense using hypnosis as uh, one of the things to control people that's based on on real science and then also with the brain transplant because when i first saw the film i was like yeah all right, I could believe it all the way up to this point. Now, we're, we're in crazy land. You know? Mm. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I thought when I first saw it. I was like, this is kind of crazy land. It was All the way up to this point, I was like, okay, I thought it would have been something else. Maybe, I don't know, maybe using their organs, you know. And right, like,
1: it's a, like the black market kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah,
0: that's what I was kind of expecting. But, you know, for them to be trans, I was like, eh, it's kind of far-fetched. But after listening to the commentary, um, noticing that these actual... Uh, surgeries actually taking place and yes on what lab rats or yeah
1: they they successfully did it with some um a pair of 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 lab rats or mice in 80 82 i think it it was it was sometime in the 80s when that procedure took place there's a real science behind it a partial brain transplant is possible uh and it was performed on some mice back in 1982
0: So, and if you know they did that, you know they did it on humans for real. Just ain't nobody talking about it yet. Yikes. Yikes. (laughs) So, uh, switching over to technical. So, uh, majority of this movie was shot on location in Alabama. I don't know why they chose Alabama. Was there a reason for that? Maybe tax incentives. I don't know what the reason was for it, for the whole Alabama thing.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm assuming it was for some kind of tax incentives. Um, and maybe just to look at me finding a place that had that kind of space and because they wanted to kind of you know, have it away in the in the woods. So, I, I mean, it worked. Um, and
0: then they only, they shot primarily on location in Alabama, but there was one um, shot that was shot on the stage and that was a part when they're illustrating the sunken place and what that looks like. And that was shot on the Arri Alexa mini camera. And then when you see him like kind of floating in the air, they shot that at 200 frames per second. And it gives like the slow motion shot, almost like he's like in water. Mm-hmm. And they use like fans to blow, to you know make it seem like his, his <laughs> he's in some kind of sunken place and he's in water. So they use big fans to kind of blow his clothes and make, to give that a look. And uh, Hollywood uses that look whenever they're shooting underwater scenes without actually being underwater.
1: Probably what they're doing for Aquaman, what James Wan, I'm sure, is doing for Aquaman. Mm, when is does that drop? Uh, November, maybe? Really? Yeah, I think it's supposed to come out this year. And it's you know it's supposed to be the like majority of it underwater, so they're having to do loads of post-production. Anyway, tangent.
0: All right, we're diving into the filmmaking stuff. Okay, so we have 15 points. We're going to rock through these. Uh, number 1, handheld camera work can make you feel in the room or in the relationships with the camp with the characters. So there's a scene when it when it's when we're opening up and we're introduced to Chris and Rose and the camera work there is is handheld and it gives you a feeling like you're I don't know if it's more like voyeuristic or you're there in the room with
1: Yeah, Peel mentioned that it's there's something about using the handheld that that can be Beneficial to making things feel more romantic. That's why he wanted to rock the handheld for that opening scene.
0: Number two, get your audience to like your characters early on.
1: This was accomplished
0: by the humor that both characters, you know, they were playing with each other, making us laugh, making each other laugh. And also uh, the part when they're actually on the road and they're driving to our house Mm -hmm. and they get pulled over. And she's defending Chris from the racist cop. Oh. So we think,
1: and the whole the whole time again, she Rose does such a great job, and Allison Williams acting wise, man, I gotta give her mad props. But she gives the impression that everything she's doing is in favor of Chris and to protect him, and that she loves him, and you believe it, mm-hmm. you believe it throughout. And yeah, like I was like, hey, Rose is cool, you know, and mm-hmm. and you, and you like Chris because he seems like you know. Sharp guy seems like a good guy. Yeah. And just uh, real quick, like but before before that scene mm-hmm. some of the metaphors uh, and the foreshadowing that, mm-hmm. that Peel explains in the commentary really is, is fascinating. Like he mentions when, when we first see Chris, he's putting white shaving cream on his face. And like that's like fascinating. Like, I didn't catch that one. Yeah, yeah. He says you know, when we first see Chris he is putting he's seen putting well uh, He's putting uh, blackface, putting putting white on, uh, and then also while he's shaving, he actually cuts himself mm-hmm. as well. And also when he talks to um, Rose about you know meeting her parents, he he makes a, a a joke about you know her her father chasing him off the lawn with a shotgun, right, or with a rifle. It's like a foreshadow. And that's a foreshadow to what she actually is doing with him at the end. So just like these small little things. And even like the, when we first see Rose's face, she's looking at the donuts and the donut shop through the glass. Mm -hmm. And then, and Chris is looking in the mirror and like, there's like themes with, with mirrors and glass also located within even the, you know, a lot of the uh, forms of the uh, key art for the box cover, uh, the key art for the cover of the DVD has broken glass around it. So like that is a, is a, is a continual theme throughout the, the film.
0: I like that he does that, even though, Didn't catch the mirror theme, you know. Even though on the key art did have the you know the broken glass and things like that, didn't catch that. I did catch the nick, you know, when ever when something goes kind of bad before the movie starts. Yeah, you're definitely gonna catch up on that. But Mm -hmm. I think when when you're putting that much thought into the world of the movie it grounds it and makes it feel like this is actually existing. When when you're putting that much thought into like these seeds, the foreshadow, the world of glass, even though we're I'm not catching it consciously, subconsciously you feel like this is this is the get out world.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, build that world and when you go back though and you you look at things that characters do by themselves, especially with Rose's character, like when she's smiling looking at those donuts, you know, that's that's Roro looking at those donuts, thinking about, I got another one. I'm about to, I'm about to really, in. you know, that, that smile means something totally different. It's not anticipation of, I'm going to see my man. It's anticipation of, I you know I was going to be another successful mission. Oh man. It's That's sick.
0: Yes, it is. Tip number three, have a strong theme in your film. So in his film, he had a theme, he had several themes of neglect, marginalization, the paralyzation of fear. And uh, in a system and like the disappearances of, of black
1: men. A couple other ones that he mentioned, um, themes of hyp- hypnosis. Again, you mentioned that you mentioned neglect fathers not being around as well. And, and mentioned again in Chris's situation, how his father wasn't present. And, and Peel mentioned in his own personal life, how his father wasn't present uh, either growing up.
0: Now, I say you have a strong theme so that you have something to actually say as a filmmaker.
1: Mm, I cannot agree more. I mean, Pill had plenty to say.
0: Point number four: Too much coverage can waste a part of the day. Now, there's a scene where there's a wide shot. As uh, soon as Rose and Chris, when they pull up to meet the parents, and it's just a wide shot the whole time. It's the red vehicle pulling up. They say hi to everybody. I think as an audience member, we've seen this, we've seen this sequence thousands of times before. Sure. You cut in close. Everybody's hugging and we go, welcome. Hey, da 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 da. But he didn't do that. He just stayed in the wide shot. But he also mentioned that he had the shot already in his mind. He know this the shot that he wanted. But yep. just to be safe, he went in and got a lot of coverage. Coverage meaning let's go ahead and shoot a couple angles, you know, medium shots, close up shots. But he already had the vision. He already knew what he wanted to do. So because he already had the vision, he didn't have to he should have just went with his instinct and just got that shot and moved on. It could have saved a portion of the day.
1: But and also he said also, of course, this is his first this is his first film. And so there's a lot of things he learned as a first-time filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And he said next time he will trust his instincts. And even in terms of making the film, he said there were a lot of days where he went home and, and cried. Uh, just, you know, think about the pressure and all the people that are relying on him. And if it doesn't come out right, people's livelihoods could be on, be on the line. And just having to get up every day, go on to set, and just, you know, believe that he was the captain, like a pirate captain of a, of a <laughs> ship, and just, you know, command and, and do what had to be done and you know trust trust his instincts
0: i've had the same experience um shooting a music video where i'm pre-visualized already went to the location scouted it out did storyboards with photographs I already knew what angles i wanted to shoot but uh when we got it was during the first setup i shot the same angle maybe five times don't know why just <laughs> just kept kept shooting and it turns out i didn't even use that Those shots at all in the music video. Wow! But I think sometimes it's like a good warm up. I don't know. Maybe it's just a warm up, or you just got to get the brain flowing to start thinking creatively. I don't know what it is, but I didn't do that with the other setups in the music video. It was just that one specific shot where I tried it like four or five times. Don't know why, but I did. Didn't even use it. Hey, it happens. But yeah, I I know exactly what he means. Now, if I was doing that for every setup, (laughs) it might be a problem. Yeah, it might be a problem. Uh, tip number five, have room to be flexible. So there was a uh, a part in the uh, the movie where Chris is coming downstairs. He wants to get a smoke. That's like a thing uh, in the film where, you know, he's they want him to stop smoking. But um, I think it's clever to give characters reasons to do things. Uh, yes. And he needed a reason to go outside. So he has the habit of smoking. So that brings him outside.
1: And it's also the, the use of, of showing uh, characters' weaknesses, giving them a, a weakness or a vice that you can use to kind of you know position the character into where you you need them to go, and so yeah, the cigarette smoking was 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 one of Chris's one of his vices.
0: And while he's going outside for a quick second, we see the grandma Georgina. Georgina, out of nowhere, just runs, a, just walks across the screen in the <laughs> background it's like Dang! and so it was like a quick little scare but that wasn't scripted that wasn't planned but Jordan he had an idea to do that all of a sudden but you can come up with these ideas if you're prepared if you're prepared you know exactly what you're going to shoot you know when you, and you think of something creative you can make stuff like that happen
1: yes absolutely
0: tip number six know your references so Jordan Jordanville he had tons of references from other horror films uh, one specifically was like the Silence of the Lamb that he mentioned. Uh, it was a scene where Chris is with the mom and she's asking him questions about his past. And this is a way for the antagonist to get inside the head of the protagonist. And in Silence of the Lambs, I think the antagonist was doing that to Clarice.
1: Yes. And also, even with the, um, with the shot before of Georgina... When she's actually first revealed in the film, mm-hmm. when when he kind of walks into the the kitchen area, said you know when you have when you have a shot of somebody kind of patiently waiting on you, that also is a, a callback to not only Silence of the Lambs, no, uh, yeah, the Silence of the Lambs and the introduction of Hannibal, uh, but also even the 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 two twin girls from The Shining. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's kind of there patiently. It's patiently creepy. Waiting. That
0: those scenes are always creepy because I I just imagine it just in life. Like you walk behind the door and somebody's just sitting there. Like really, that's what we're doing.
1: Welcome, Reginald. We've been waiting.
0: Well, I wasn't coming in this room. I was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can wait a little while longer.
0: Right. I'm out. <laughs> so yeah, so that they gave um, that expedition gave a, her uh, a way for the antagonist to literally get inside the head of the prot- protagonist. And reveal some things to us, you know, some of the psychological things going on with the, with our protagonists. Yes. Uh, tip number seven, be aware of what society is thinking, what, maybe what dominant society is thinking, especially if you're a quote-unquote minority and you're telling stories. Um, there's an example with the actor Lakeith, who plays Andre. He is killed at the beginning of the film, but he is now playing the character of Logan with... Andre's body some people didn't know that that was the same guy at the beginning of the film Mm -hmm. I already knew but of course I'm black right so so there's this thing that Jordan Peele says that in dominant society they're trained to not know the differences between black
1: people can I make a quick public service announcement sometimes you may see somebody let's say it's a black person and you may have an idea of another black person you've seen maybe a famous black person but I would encourage you to not just say you know who you look like and then <laughs> randomly mention another black person you've seen on TV or in the movies or in sports because <sighs> that, had, that that I've had that happen a lot. I've, 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 I've heard all kinds of things. I, I, sometimes I, I get cool, but I'm like, OK, I'm, 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 I'm all right. I'm all right with that. I've got a shaved head and I've got a, some facial hair going. Our complexion, you know, might be kind of similar. All right, fine. Show me the money. But, but yeah, I've, I've heard all kinds of stuff throughout the years and heard other people be told stuff and it's like, uh, yeah, I just, just public service. might Be very to careful me, I remember that.
2: it. You know, you look
0: like Red and
1: you look like Martin Lawrence. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we were watching a movie the other day, Martin Lawrence. Oh, man. Don't look nothing
4: like him. Yeah. We're short. But no, that's.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I try try to avoid, I try to avoid these things, and especially if, if you are of, of of another persuasion, because that it can just it can come across so offensive, and you may not realize how often it happens to people of color, and it really does make it feel like you you like you're not paying attention, and you think that we that so many of us look alike, uh, and That's and ha- or, or have an appreciation for. The many shades that we come in. Oh, man. I, I, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. But that's a public service announcement. Just trying to, just trying to look out.
0: Kobe Bryant here. <laughs> uh,
1: tip number eight.
0: Address real world uh, situations like the phone issues inside a horror movie.
1: I loved hearing Peel's explanation of how to handle that. Because nowadays in, in, in horror films, everybody has a cell phone. Yes. You know, if you're in danger, just call somebody, Pretty right? Much. Or text somebody. How do you get around that? Or you know, somebody be able to geotrack you and, and find out where you're at? You know, conveniently having Georgina accidentally, you know, knock his phone off the stand, uh, unplug the charger. That was that was an excellent trope, so that his battery, his phone wouldn't have, you know, an, enough enough juice. I'm like. Okay, and, and you do it in a way where it, it makes sense and you deal with that real-world problem. But I can only imagine for every for every horror filmmaker of a modern-day film, you have to figure out, okay, what do we do with these freaking cell phones?
0: And there's a movie called It Follows. Did you watch It Follows? I did, I and did. It, it, what the director did in that film, he just took all the phones
1: away. He took all the cell phones away. It Follows? uh uh-huh. It has. It follows a very like throwback kind of almost eighties horror movie kind of feel to it. So mm-hmm. it almost makes you wonder. You know, in what time period was it set in? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it is is it, is it? I have to go back and watch that. and Look at the, how they're dressed and the clothing, because I think it made me wonder that when when does this take place? Right, and it could be kind. It could it could range from. I gotta look. I guess you gotta look at the cars too. Is it seventies? eighties? and nineties? It
0: was like a mixture. I'm trying to we we'll probably have to revisit that the commentary on that one but that was very intentional to take away all the cell phones that's good and not know and like have like the time period be kind of more ambiguous mhm so anyhow if you're doing a horror film the cell phone issue is like a big deal now so you have to yes, be more clever in how you're cuz cell phones on everybody it's like that's part of them now
1: it is people will fight you over the over their cell phone
0: Tip number nine, have good character development. There's a psychology with our main character, Chris, and why he cannot leave so quickly.
1: And that that begins, we begin to see elements of that when they hit the deer driving, you know, on the way to the, to their parents place. Um that's the first inkling in, in little kind of peek into Chris's psyche when he sees that deer there on the ground left dying. And the thought of almost okay, I don't want to leave this. I don't want to leave leave a, a living being behind to just die. If there's something that might be able to be done to to save to save it, uh, and even Peel talks about when he steps off the the concrete into the woods. That's kind of also some about him crossing over into is uh, officially out of the city, uh, yeah, and now yeah. he's into the wilderness. Now he's into a different, a very different place. That
0: was interesting. Yeah, I remember that insert shot because Shanti she was like, "Why
1: is his shoelaces blue? You know, mm. with the boots.
0: I don't know. Why is he Why is he tying them up like that?
1: Interesting. But yeah, that shot was a, kind of symbolize that that the crossing over. But yeah, you know, when we first see that that deer mm-hmm. getting struck, that's the first insight we get. And of course, it opens up through the you know the the hypnosis and him sharing with her what he experienced and then him sharing with Rose later on I mean, it's, it's like this is these layers mm-hmm. getting peeled back that his mother didn't just die that he actually had a chance to to save her wow. and when he shares that with Rose that also then because he was ready to leave that place at that point mm-hmm. but when he shares that with her after they, they had had a fight that kind of reaffirms the relationship and the love and the care and the trust and that's the reason why he stays and again being a smart character and, you know, most audience would be like, oh, man, get out of there. But when you see that, you're like, oh, man, they really do love each other, you know. And it, it, it seems like, okay, that's a justifiable reason within this character, within both these characters that we've, we've spent this time with to say, okay, I believe that. I believe he would stay because of that. She's had his back this whole time. Okay, you know, she's down with the swirl. She seems like, you know, mm-hmm. good peoples. So what do you think about that?
0: To me, that's just evidence of a well-developed character, mm-hmm. of like when you're diving into psychology because I know – a lot of times women yeah, used to say that the, the women are in some of these uh, movies aren't fleshed out. And I think that's what they're kind of alluding to is that, you know, what are like, what are these women's motives? Are they just like the damsel in distress? Are they just whatever, like kind of like throwaway characters versus like actual having somebody that's that stands for something, even if it's something bad, like this woman stands for something. So to me, it's just evidence of a, of a well-developed character.
1: What do you think about the uh, the psychology um, or the psyche of of Rose slash RoRo? <laughs>
0: RoRo. Before hearing the commentary, it seemed her character in a way kind of seemed unbelievable. But then when you dive into like the background of where these people could possibly come from, and this this is like generational. Like, she grew up in this, like, as a little child. This ain't, she didn't decide to do this when she was, like, in high school or something like that. She was bred to do this. Yeah. And so, after listening to the commentary, okay, you can see that being, you know, her being, like, that psychotic because she grew up in this. And then, why is her brother so, like, weird? But,. He doesn't want to go through the whole romance or what's it called grooming. He doesn't want to go through that whole grooming stage. He just wants to get let's get right to this thing. Let's let's kill him. Let's do it. Let's you know let's get it over. Grab him off the street, right? <laughs> so, so that made it more believable. And but I think the psychology of having them revealing that psychology to us through like the hypnosis and things uh, allowed us to understand his what's going on inside his brain a little bit more. Where normally you probably wouldn't get. That exposition, you can only go by somebody's actions in the movie. But because you have the opportunity with psychology and hypnosis, you can pull all this stuff out.
1: Do you think that maybe the kids at some point were maybe hypnotized? Who? The kids. Hmm. Because actually, actually, Rose says at one point that she was hypnotized. She was dealing with some kind of bad dream, something like that, mm-hmm. and and says that her mom used it to get rid of some kind of fear or something like that. Uh, so she actually was hypnotized at one point. So who knows what maybe kind of either suggestions or programming she might have been able to put in. Who knows? Maybe maybe that's how she was able to create the the character, if you will, of of Rose to be able to be able to go out and and be as a, attractive and mm-hmm. whatever to have that that side she could turn on and control. I don't know. It's fascinating.
0: Probably so. I wouldn't doubt it, yeah. I could definitely see that. She would use it so she can be so she can come back to who she really is, which is Roro. Come back to who you really are. Um, but maybe she can be hypnotized so that she's more docile. Maybe. Um there, there was a, he mentioned uh, in the commentary about uh Chris, the, the actor, how he was having what's his real name? Is it Daniel? David Daniel Kalua. How he was having like a block. Was he having a block? Jordan gave him like Maybe that was a, a interview I was listening to. It was
1: two times in the commentary. Uh-huh. I think he mentioned him having a hard time to get get to a certain place. One was when he was talking to Rose about letting his mom die. Okay. okay. Uh, there was a, an emotional block there, and uh, and and Peele gave him some advice. I think it was along the lines of uh, again, Chris doesn't want to leave his family again.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. So he had a block. Jordan Peele gave him that direction. He doesn't want him to be that guy. So with that motivation, everything else made sense. So that so when he's burning off in the white Porsche and the lady is in the streets, like oh, he's fighting that
1: that urge to to leave, to, again to leave someone behind dying. Again, the same thing we saw at the beginning with the with the deer.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: like it, it kind of keeps coming back around. And he in the regular ending,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: him not killing. Uh, Rose is, is also him not like losing his losing his soul and, and actively causing someone to, to die. He's like, You know what? I I tried to save her. I I did what I was supposed to do, so I'm good. I'm I'm out. I'm not gonna let you take that from me by mm-hmm. giving into that rage.
0: Good stuff. All right, tip number ten, you can use irony. So he used irony in this film by uh the picking of cotton. Um Chris character Chris, he's picking cotton and as a black man, picking cotton, it actually saved his life. So he used a little bit of irony in there.
1: Right, right. Putting that in his ears to fight the the hypnosis.
0: And I know we were trying to define irony. Are we going to try to do that again? No, we're, we're not going to try again. to do that. We'll let y'all at home to, uh, look up irony and figure out how you want to use that in your films. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, it, it's brilliant when you can pull it off. Uh, tip number 11 use visuals to connect the audience to a character so there's a a, a part uh when chris is in, he's strapped to a chair uh but of course he has a cotton balls in his ear so that when uh rose's brother comes to take him to go off to surgery he can free himself and then there's an insert shot of him grabbing the bocce ball and instead of just um Rose's brother kind of just being off to the side, and then Chris comes out of nowhere like, ha-ha, and then slaps him upside the head. Mm-hmm. We actually see the insert shot of Chris grabbing the ball, so we're, like, in on the thing. We're in on the attack with, with Chris. With
1: Chris. That's true. That's absolutely true. And then we just see Rose's brother just get clocked.
0: So as an audience member, when I, when that part comes in, I'm like, yes! You know, the, the whole <laughs> audience, like, everybody was like, get up. Get out! Get out! It reminds me of a film called um, uh, what was it called Money uh, Money Talks with uh, Chris, Chris Rock, Tuck, Chris Tucker, Chris Tucker. You remember that? And, and Charlie Sheen. Sheen. <laughs> Did mm-hmm. you remember? So there's a <laughs> there's a scene where um, at the end of the movie, Chris Rock, Chris uh, Tucker is running with diamonds in his pocket. He's running, and then this guy named Frenchy, he calls him Frenchy, comes mm. out of nowhere and like clotheslines him, and then he's like, "I'm going to shoot your knee." And then I'm going to shoot your other knee. You got that, homie? Mm. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, Charlie Sheen comes up behind him with a gun. And he's about to shoot him, but instead of shooting him, he just hits him upside the head with a gun and he falls down. And then Chris Tucker gets up like,
2: kick his ass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> kick him. Kick him. Do it again. And then, Do it again. And Charlie Shane's like, looks like that might hurt. <laughs> and then he just starts <laughs> kicking him. It's hilarious. And just stomps him out, just stomping him out. Mm. Basically, what uh, our character Chris does, at, you know, when he leaves the house, he's like stomping him out. In the Same situation. So this movie, that that scene reminded me of that scene.
1: There, there. Oh man, there's something that Peel said specifically when Rose's brother comes back, two steps ahead. Right. Okay. So, you think that that um, what's that character's name? Uh, Jeremy. Yeah. So you think that Jeremy is, is dead from the bocce ball. Right. But as Chris is on his way out the door, literally Jeremy grabs him from behind and kind of puts a, a choke hold on him. He's trying to choke him out. And and he mentions something about being two steps ahead of him. And that, that may have been mentioned earlier in the film. And so Chris still has the letter opener in his hand. And obviously every time he tries to open the door, Jer- Jeremy's using his foot to close the door. And so... Chris goes for the door again. Jeremy raises his foot to close it, and then he ah stabs him in the in the leg with the with the letter opener. Uh-huh. And then Peel talks about you know Chris now having to be two steps ahead mm-hmm. of of um, of Jeremy. And but when he when he's saying that in the commentary, at the same time, literally Chris stomps, <laughs> takes two steps on the head. Of Jeremy, ah,
0: uh-huh, two steps ahead, yeah. I and I, I was like,
1: I was like, okay, did he mean that, or, 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 or am I just drawing a, a weird correlation? But right. I was like, because I think he was talking about being two steps ahead by, by you know, stabbing the, the kneecap and kind of suckering him in. But then he was like, you know, you know he was two steps ahead in that, and that sounds like, hmm. But anyway, I don't, I may be drawing something that's not there, but maybe it, that is the way it was said when it was said, just that is funny, stood out.
0: The that is ironic how about that ha ha used in a funny way (laughs) (laughs) because at the dinner table they're talking about the difference between jiu-jitsu and judo and in one of those art forms you have to be two steps ahead of your opponent
2: Mm -hmm. and so
0: that's where the two steps ahead comes from so very nice very nice that's pretty cool so he set him up basically because when you're in a choco like that you got about 20 seconds before you're done
1: yeah, but that's also where you can see, you know, throughout the whole film, Chris is very tempered, you know, very much so in control, and a lot of times, the things are, as 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 black men in a lot of scenarios, you feel you have to be tempered, you know, like okay, I can't come across like an angry black man, you know, that you feel if we if we get mad in a scenario that we might be you know pegged or labeled. Oh yeah. Um, but in this moment, it's black rage, <laughs> like, and you you know as a black, man, I'm like yeah, get him, you know, it's like. You know, they, they're going to kill this it's dude. Visceral. And enslaved. they were going to enslave this man in his own mind. And not just enslaved in a in a uh just in your mind in like your worst fear. Yeah. That's what makes it even more terrible like in the worst in a living hell basically. You they're going to put him in a living hell and let somebody else use his body. But yeah, he just able to let go and just rage out, which leads him to the scene with with the mother. And, and how that is handled. And Peel actually says that you have to kind of be real careful, even, even in this age, in having a young black man kill an older, attractive white woman on camera. Yes. And even the way that scene is cut, you know, you, you don't see the expression of, of, of Missy uh, or, or Mrs. Uh, Armitage. Armitage. You don't see her actual expression when when she dies you just know that you know he has his hands around her throat and
0: uh yeah i feel like that was kind of a cop out in a way because Mm. because i didn't think about it but i was just like he knocks the cup out of the way all right it's a showdown he should attack right away you know because you don't know what kind of trick she has if she can hypnotize him with something else we don't know. You gotta get rid of this woman. She she set you up to die to not to die but to be enslaved. And so even and Jordan Peele saying like even you know even a film was black man can't you know kill the old white woman unless it's self defense. So I found that very interesting. Right, he had to be self defense. She had to have the knife and then stabbed him. Went through the arm. He through his hand. He allows that to happen. Like what is going on? And then you know he stabs her with it, but it's off screen. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't see it graphically and yeah. she doesn't yell or anything. Like she just took it like a G just
1: <laughs> I hit my t- I hypnotized myself to handle pain right. for my eventual death. She's just, ah, That's what we should have heard. But no. Yeah, didn't. you're right. You're right. It, it 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 makes you Jordan. Come on, Jordan. <laughs> It ma- it makes you wonder about 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 that like showing images like that like how would people respond to it I often I often have wondered I don't know if this kind of film would ever be made What if there was a just again literally a film where like white people are like enslaved Black people are treating white people the way that slaves were were treated Like would that kind of film ever be made How would people react to that Could people handle that Could society Handle that? Would would any production company ever even make that? I don't know that it's necessary, but just just from a, the flip of the script visually,
0: that has been t- not necessarily slavery, but it's been touched on a little bit. There's um, a series by Irv Gotti that recently came out. It's called Tales, and so basically he takes a um, a, a famous hip hop song and turns it into like a short film or like mm. a 45 minute movie. Um, One of it is, one was called F the police. And so in this world, everything's turned around. White kids are being harassed by the black police, and and the Mm. black police are killing the white kids and things like that. And the response that he got with people was like, this will never happen. This is. (laughs)
1: People were dismissive. Yeah,
0: very much so. This will never happen. This is.
1: Lupe Fiasco has a uh, song on his album, Lasers. Mm-hmm. It's called, it's called black something, but in, in the way that he's rapping, it's like, he's like in an alternate universe where all the white people are black. Uh, and the black people are white. It, it, it's, it, it was, I don't know, It's fascinating. Like the, the rat pack, you know, mm-hmm. all black guys. And it's just, it was just, it was just very interesting, interesting song that, that I think that may have planted the seed in my mind that I thought, like, man, what would that look like? How would that even be possible? And, how would that imagery be seen, or or anything like that? But meh. I think
0: there was a movie um, John Travolta was in. There was a white man's burden, or
1: mm. he was in a movie
0: kind of sort of similar to that. I Didn't see the whole thing, but that was like kind of like the themes, like if things were like flipped around, but not slavery. <laughs> that that <laughs> that'll be memorable. Yeah. Uh, tip number twelve: uh, Give the audience a little bit of notice before you hit them with something. And yes. One example was. The doctor that's doing the surgery on all these people, he knows something's wrong. So he's looking for his son because the son's supposed to come back with Chris. That's the new brain that's being replaced. He's like, Where is he at? So he's looking out in the hallway. He looks one way, and then we hear footsteps like three or four footsteps like, and then he turns around, bam! Then he gets stabbed by the buck in his throat.
1: Digital horns. Yes.
0: Digital antlers, I should say. So the reason for this is it says it distracts them. It it distracts us as the audience right before the scare.
1: I think also it enhances the, the payoff a little bit, too, because later on, at the very end of the film, when the when the when he is has his hands around Roro's throat and then we begin to see the blue and red siren lights, you know, for a black man, you're like, oh, man, Dude, come in the, on.
0: in the theater. Everybody said that.
1: Come on, <laughs> come on man. It was like, ah. Oh. Like no, you, you thought it was over. Yeah. But then, as you get the close of the police car and the door opens, and you can see on the door it says TSA. Yeah. And just just that is enough. You you know you the know it's his like, boy.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so
0: that was these are real reactions that happened in the theater. It was awesome. I bet, man. I, I bet. Tip number thirteen. Well, we've already kind of talked about that when we were talking about just kind of how. You know, there's still like politics kind of involved with, you know, making films, you know, dealing with, you know, killing the older white woman and, you know, in America. And how how do you address that? As a filmmaker, you, know, you're got you going to have to talk about this. You're going to be in audiences full of white people. <laughs> mm. You have to explain this. And hey, maybe I don't know. You know, Jordan's the one who has to talk about this stuff. So, you know, he, he has reasons behind everything that he's doing.
1: And you know he man from a mythology standpoint in the commentary he really he talks about the Knights of Templar the Knights of the Templar and 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 kind of some of their their beliefs and, and thoughts and their their kind of reaching and search for immortality and one thing I, I I didn't catch or maybe I forgot from the first time watching it was hearing about um, the grandfather who started this whole thing and because oh, yeah because he lost in a qualifier qualifying race for the Olympics against Jesse Owens. He was obsessed with physically being able to like beat that time. That's why that that, that now iconic scene of him running, you know, towards Chris's character in the yard. Initially I didn't know what that was all what that was all about. But he said he's He's like, got his
0: form down too. His hands are just straight up. Yeah. Like, uh.
1: He's working on trying to beat Jesse Owens time still. And he's using lighting utilizing his new black body to do it. And that's just like this pisses me off. It even is more. hilarious.
0: Like, oh and then at the end, when he's running towards him, <laughs> like he's running, away, Chris has running away from uh, Roro with the gun. And then the grandpa comes out of nowhere oh man, with the no perfect chance. form. Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got him, baby. I got him. You ain't going to oh, win man. this. One. Chris, you, yeah, you're done, <laughs> brother. Oh, but I, I love, so um, one of the things, like the, the use of, of, of pictures for one, in mm. in the film is fascinating we, we get pictures at the beginning in in um in chris's his, his own place apartment he's also a photographer he's an urban photographer when he gets to their home they're showing pictures and images again that's where we see you know the grandfather and we see jesse owens uh later on we see that the cracked door in rose's room where he comes across the photos that's the the big reveal right and she left that door open And so you know people are saying that's kind of Kind of throughout the hunt, where yeah. she almost wants wants him to see it, and and when he sees it, as a point at a point where he's ready to to get out to leave, and but he plays it off as like, oh, you know, just I'm just trying to just trying to find my camera, you know, and she says, oh, here's here's where it's at, and just the, you know, the, him him using his wits and using the camera, wanting to take a picture of Andre's character that he sends a little rev, which which is you know a saving grace to end, and then even how he gets out of going to be killed by 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 the grandfather is once again. Taking a picture with that flash to cause that seizure in that moment for for the real the the original uh, brother to to resurface long enough to shoot Roro just like so um,
0: tip number fourteen using those powerful moments um, social uh, we talked about you know the social implications of you know trying to choke out <laughs> choke out the the white girl in the in in the street in the theater people like I was saying people are like. You know, oh no, you know, when you see this girl laid out and then the police are coming, help, help. I'm like, oh, really?
1: Help.
0: Help. (laughs) I'm like, wow. (laughs) When I saw this scene, it reminded me of a movie called Black Snake Moan. Have you seen that film?
1: Uh, Christina Ricci and uh, Sam. Right. Samuel L. I have.
0: Yeah. So there was a scene where she's laid out in the middle of. It's in Mississippi. Wait, is it Mississippi? No, Memphis, Tennessee. Mm. So she's laid out. In Tennessee, in the South, you know, with her panties on, a low cut shirt, and she's beat up. And you see this old black man. Like, this is like John Singleton in the commentary was like, this is like the worst nightmare for any black man. man mm-hmm. So, run! Run! But, you know, he, and Samuel L. Jackson looks around. He's looking around like, uh. so that scene definitely remind me of that. That's like the worst nightmare for any black man to be in in America. It's.
1: To be around when somebody's in that position, reminds me of uh, our our man AD talking about his Uber Uber story. With, <laughs> with, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have to think long and hard about what you will do next, and you just hope somebody's around to say, "Hey, can you can you come over here and and maybe handle this?" Because I don't want any accusations or incriminations or. Mm Man. Tip number
0: 15 is the last one. Uh, Take it serious. Jordan Peele obviously took this very seriously with social implications, the politics, the setups, how, you know, the psychology of the characters. It was well thought out. He put a lot of time into it and you can feel it and it kind of hones true. And when you have films like this or um, most recently uh, Black Panther, you can tell when the writer director has spent a lot of time developing these characters and, and the story. And he said, uh, Jordan Peele said, this is one of the most difficult things he's had to do in life. I could see why. I mean, this kind of
1: excellence doesn't come without sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And and, making films is not easy. You know, veterans who've been to the game sometimes can go through slumps. And again, this is his first effort, his first attempt. So the fact that, you know, at the time of this recording, he has won an Oscar for Best uh, Original Screenplay. Yeah. That is amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, but again, also, you know, kudos to, to him and his composer and his, his, his cast. You know, yeah. Daniel Kaluuya, man, he's got this ability to, tell, you know, when, uh, when he cries, like, to make the tears, and they, they kind of come down fast, you know, almost like a Denzel kind of tear action. And then, again, I can't say about Allison Williams and her performance because there's that one scene that he asked her to do where he said, I don't even know if this is possible. Because he knew if he said that, if he posed it that way, she'd be like up for the challenge. Where it's it's when little when, when little Rev's character it calls and she picks up the phone, and she literally she, she's already she's already full blown Roro mm-hmm. already, and she's got Roro's expressions on her face, but she's talking in Rose's voice and with Rose's inflections, but she's stone faced yeah. as Roro. That
0: that's next level acting.
1: Yeah, that is you're the
0: actor level. behind the actor that's acting.
1: I'm the dude who <coughs> looks like the other dude, trying to be the dude. It, it's just that was that was really impressive. So yeah, man, just a wonderful film. And even and now, like I've watched the the deleted scenes and and yeah, I almost I don't, I don't know I might watch it again this weekend. It's just this it's, it's a, it was refreshing. Yeah. It was
0: refreshing to look at. The
1: deleted, deleted scenes are worth checking out too. Okay. The 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 first couple ones. There's some, there's some alternate ones. At the very end, that are just multiple takes of a Little Rev kind of just improving the kind of his last <laughs> his last lines to Chris when he gets in the car. Actually, actually, those are worth those are worth seeing too because he he says he says some funny stuff, some crazy stuff.
0: It was hilarious. And as soon as they get, in, I told you not to go in there. Like everybody has that person that, in their life that says these things. There,
1: there's there's one take where he says like they're sitting there and he's like, "You think she voted for Trump? <laughs> Look at her. Yeah, of course she did." <laughs>
0: They should have kept that one in. They should have kept that one in.
1: Oh, the delivery, man. Because every, every time he... might have dated it too hard. He's quiet better. for a moment. <laughs> he delivers. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's worth... It's, it's like six or seven of those. <laughs> just like his alternate takes of, of him just saying crazy stuff. Yes,
0: indeed. Appreciate it, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, if you're on iTunes, please leave a review. Leave your remarks How we get better If you're on SoundCloud Stitcher Google Play Please do that What are we gonna listen to Next time I have two things I have two suggestions I got Scott Pilgrim And also I uh, just recently purchased uh, What's the David Fincher joint That we were talking about last time
1: uh, David Fincher joint Not the girl with the dragon tattoo it's, it's not
0: uh, Seven It's nope. not You're gonna make me look up The It's like dealing with a killer It's uh, Well <laughs> Well <laughs>
1: <laughs> i have to narrow it <laughs> right, down right,
0: some right. Um like a come on it's a serial killer
1: oh Zodiac
0: Zodiac Zodiac's so I just I just recently bought those two
2: films I got yeah. Scott Pilgrim and I, I own Zodiac. Scott
1: Pilgrim already okay. so we could do that one first okay and then and then maybe go back to go to Zodiac alright Scott Pilgrim versus the world I watched it in the theater and that was like that was awesome in the theater. Okay, with the sound of the music. I, I I have the soundtrack still on my on my on my phone. I bought that off iTunes. I, I, that's one of my favorite soundtracks.
0: I remember you let me borrow it, and I was just amazed by just the visual effects. Like, oh, yeah. I like the way it's Edgar Wright. It is Edgar Wright. I like his style of directing and how he transitions to different cuts. But that added with the visual effects, it's like, what are we doing here?
1: Like a living video video game even though it's based off a of, uh, comic book yeah, it's been a while since i've, I've seen that I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh revisiting that
0: all right guys thank y'all tune in next time and we'll talk to you later peace
1: out peace, peace.